You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. My name is Mike Carlin. I'm your host. And today I'm pleased to introduce you to Rand Thane. Rand is the New York Times, USA Today, and Publishers Weekly bestselling author of more than 70, that's seven zero novels. She finds inspiration in the beautiful northern Utah mountains, where it just stopped snowing, and where she lives <laughs> <laughs> with her family. Her stories have been described as poignant and sweet, with beautiful, honest storytelling that goes straight to the heart. This is making my heart sing just reading this copy. I'm here today to talk about her latest novel, Summer at the Cape, is Rayanne Thane. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Rayanne. Hi, Mike. I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm very curious about the new book. But before we talk about that, I want to know, Rand, where does your story as an author begin? Probably when I was in high school, I was very involved in drama and debate. And my mom sort of felt like I was too heavily involved in that. I needed to sort of maybe, instead of taking three classes in my schedule that were involved in drama and debate, I should maybe try something else. So she pushed me into journalism. And I should probably backtrack a little bit. It maybe started when I discovered a love of reading, probably when I was about six. And I was a voracious reader, read all the time. My mom was a big reader. My sisters were, are big readers as well. And so, you know, I was constantly reading a book whenever I had the chance. I loved going to the library. I love all those, you know, chances to explore other, other stories. And so when I went into journalism in high school, I realized this is what I loved. I love telling stories. It was maybe a different way to tell stories than when I was acting in plays and things like that. But I love telling stories. And so I went into a degree into journalism as a career. I worked for 10 years in newspapers and, and as a reporter and editor. But even then I wanted to write a book and I had the idea of I wanted to write a romance novel. That was what I loved to read that I read, you know, from the time I was probably 13, I read them constantly and I wanted to write one one day. And so I one day sat down to do it. My daughter was, I was on maternity leave with my daughter for my newspaper job. So I had this brand new first baby and decided that now's my time to start. And I didn't know what I was doing. I read books about how to write books. I'd never had a fiction writing class. I didn't know anything about what, what, you know, I didn't, I didn't belong to any writers groups. I didn't go to any, you know, writer classes. I just sat down and loved that world. I loved being able to dig in and create this world where I could have the characters do whatever I wanted them to do. And it basically started from that. I, it took me five years from that day to sell my first book. I've been doing it ever since. My first one came out in 96, and here we are many years later. <laughs> and in 70, that's just a huge number. I mean, you know, I'm looking at you, I'm like, you're not old enough to have written 70 books. But uh... I, well, I started young. Like I said, I had my first baby. I started young, but, but I've been doing two or three books a year since 1995, yep. you know, so that's how you get that many books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me that the process with that first book, right? So you're home, you've got, you know, a new baby at home, which I'm sure is requiring a lot of your attention. How do you, how do you find the time to write with this major life event that, which has just happened? 
in that particular case, you know, when she would nap, I would work. When she would go to bed at night, I would work. After I went back to work, you know, a few months later, I still had this love of doing this. And so I would get up early before I would go to work and write for a couple of hours. And I would, you know, take care of my daughter and then take her to daycare, unfortunately, and then, and then go to work. And then sometimes I would come back a little bit early and write and then go pick her up from daycare. Or sometimes I would, you know, when she would, I'd get her and, and when she would nap, I'd work. I, my, I was lucky enough when I went back to work, I was a net, the news editor of the newspaper. And so my day was started early and ended early. So I had afternoons and evenings that were mostly free. And so I would work when she was in bed and just whenever I could, it was just my dream, you know? And so I, I pursued it as much as I could. I actually would take off vacation time and, and still maybe take her for a couple of hours to daycare so that I could work on this book that I had the idea of. And, you know, I, back then I didn't know anything about submitting and I should tell you, this was the early nineties. And so we didn't have emails. We didn't have, you know, there weren't groups that you could join that would tell you how to do things. They were out there, but I, I was ignorant and lived in a little town in Northern Utah. And I didn't know what was, what my options were, you know? So I was kind of on my own, but I had submitted a proposal to an editor and she liked it and asked me for the complete and I wasn't done with it. And so I was in a panic thinking, how am I going to get this book done? You know? So I would take some time off from work and try to work on it. And again, get up at four in the morning to write for an hour and a half or so before I had to get going for the day. Somehow it happened. Somehow I made it work. I look back on that time and think, how did, but I was younger. (laughs) I was younger and I could do, do, had more energy than to work, sleep for five hours a night and work and, and have a baby and write. But that first one takes you five years to write. Now, obviously jumping forward to writing two, three a year, you know, multiple a year, something must've changed about your writing process to, to be able to sort of you know, publish more frequently or, or, or I don't want to say pump them out faster, but just kind of write them faster. Right. Well, I actually did two books in that five years okay. before I sold. And then I sold both of those books. So they bought both of the ones that I had been working on when I finally sold. And so after that, I worked and wrote for a while, but then we had our second child in 97. And I decided that was when I was going to write full time. And again, I had another new baby and he had actually some health issues. And so that made things a little bit challenging, but I learned how to write in hospital rooms and learned how to write in, you know, wherever I could taking my other daughter around to soccer practice and things like that. And and I just, I was able to work in small bursts. And while I was taking care of family, I would be thinking about the book. And so that I basically, I was lucky enough to get an editor at that point that I've worked with since then. She's been my editor for six, 70 books at Harlequin. And so they wanted more book, more and more books from me. And so it was very difficult to say no at that point in my life because I needed the money because I'd quit my job, you know. And so I was writing about three books a year of the shorter books. They were about 60,000 words for the, you know, different romance lines that they had. And they were really, I started out in romantic suspense, which is very different from the books that are right now. Uh, yeah. But, but you know, and so I was fortunate. I felt fortunate that I had a career, that I had an, a publishing house that wanted my books. And so I just tried to do it. And you work, make it work. You know, I think most, most women writers, especially we figure out how to make it work around taking care of our families. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and no doubt. So have you been with Harlequin that entire, the entire time? So actually, no, they rejected my first book. So I sold to a different publisher first. I was with Bantam Love Swept. Bantam Double Dell had a, had a romance line at that time called Love Swept. And they brought it back a few years later or a few years ago anyway, but then that line was going to be discontinued. And I was fortunate enough to already be in the process of maybe looking around to write for two publishers. So I had an in already at, at Silhouette at the time, which was before they merged with Harlequin eventually. But I sold my 
sixth book, I would say, to Silhouette. And then I've been with them ever since. Very cool. Very cool. What was the, um, I assume you work with a literary agent to, to help make all this happen. What was that like for, for those first few books? So I did not have an, an agent for my first four books. I just did that on my wow. own. Again, I told you I was ignorant. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> Look at I me making should, assumptions here. I should have had an agent, but I didn't. But I did get an agent when I knew I wanted to write for two houses. And I was yeah. so glad that I did because she she sort of helped position me and find, she knew much more about the industry than I did. So she was able to find an editor that she thought would be a good fit. And obviously she was right because here we are 70 books later, you know, I've been with this, well, 70 projects, I should say. I've done yeah. some some novellas for Harlequin as well. But yeah, so, you know, I wouldn't, and then after I, she left the business, I would say after I'd done maybe 10 books with her. And so I didn't have an agent because I was only writing category romance, which I won't say only because those are extremely hard, but I didn't, I didn't need, I didn't have a single title. I didn't need a single title editor or agent at that point because I knew what I was writing. I had a great relationship with my editor. I knew what they were paying. It was a fairly boilerplate contract. So there weren't a lot of things I could negotiate anyway in the contract at the time. So I did probably 10 books without, without a literary agent later. And then I wanted to write single title books. And so I knew I needed one for that. So I, I searched around and found a great one. And we were together for a long time and, and did a lot of great projects together. Very cool. Very cool. At what point did you decide to leave your, you know, your job in journalism? It At what was- point... It was mainly when we were going to have our second child. I had, I had two, our oldest was five and I was going to have a new baby. And I just, I didn't want to take them to daycare and try to write and squeeze out time with them. So we just decided I would take the plunge. I was, I had already sold five books. I knew that I sort of was on, on a track to keep going, you know? And so I, we thought, well, we'll just keep our fingers crossed. And it took me a long time before I made up to what I was making as a, you know, full-time it took a long time, but I was lucky enough, you know, as a writer that I already had an inn in, in a publishing house and I had already started to make inroads, you know, there and a little bit of a name for myself, even though five books, you know, weren't very much when it comes to romance, honestly, <laughs> they want, readers want quantity. They were voracious for the yeah. romance readers. They like an author with a great big backlist. And so I'm lucky yeah. now after 30, 25 years that I do have a good backlist. You've got the backlist. So what drew you to romance? I mean, it sounds like that's what you enjoyed reading. But sometimes, you know, what we enjoy reading isn't what we write. So what what drew you into um, into the genre? Really, it was because that was where my heart was. I that was the kind of books I love to read. I loved happy endings. And, you know, when I went into journalism, I didn't realize it really wasn't a great personality fit for me. I had a hard time with the contention with the people being angry and, and mad at the newspaper. And, you know, in a small town newspaper, that was pretty much constant. Everybody was always mad at you. And so, you know, I had to sort of realize that in my, in this imagination, in my imaginary world, that's where I was, you know, sort of able to have the freedom to have happy endings. And, and I loved that. It was very addicting to me. And I just feel like now I feel like there's so much need for the books that I write there and that other authors in this genre, write. There's so much need for people to be reminded that, that, you know, this is important in the world. Caring about others is important and love and having great home lives for children and, and all of that is really important. And yeah. so I'm happy that I can provide that. I'm happy that I can give people a happy ending. You know, I love the emails that I get from readers that say, you know, I'm going through cancer and your books are keeping me going. Or, you know, my husband and I are struggling with our marriage, but we're reading your books together to remind each other how we should be treating each other. You know, what, what more powerful thing could I want as a writer to know that I'm making a difference, making people happy in their lives? Yeah. 
Well, talk to me about summer at the Cape. What's um, yeah, obviously you can't give too too much away, but tell me, um, you know, at, at a high level, what's summer at the Cape about? Sure, this is a, f- a story about a family sort of struggling to come to terms with the death of one of their family members. So it concerns three sisters. Their parents divorced when they were young, and there were there's a, a girl, and then she had twins that were two years younger. And the twins went with their mother to live in Northern California at this little beach community, and she stayed with her father in LA. Now she's an attorney many years later, and her one of the twins died tragically in an accident. And before she died, she had this dream of starting a glamp ground in this little Northern California area. And so the mother is trying to keep this dream alive of her daughter, but there's a lease dispute with the owner of the, the property that they were using. They didn't really have a formal lease. So the mother reaches out to her lawyer daughter saying, please come up and help me sort this out. So she comes to this little town and then It's also about her sister, the twin, the other twin, remaining twin, how she struggles to deal with the loss of her sister. And so it's kind of, it is a happy book, but there's certainly sad, bittersweet moments as they, the family all grieves, as they all try to come to terms with the different dynamics now of their family without this one family member. Yeah. So when I, when I initially saw the title, you know, I live in, I live in Connecticut and we summer on Cape Cod, right. but I assume this is, we're not talking about Cape Cod. Here. No, it's a little town called Cape Sanctuary. And I had that issue when my publisher wanted this title. I was like, everyone's going to think it's Cape Cod, but <laughs> they still said it all oh, it just fits for the storyline. But I've done four books set in this little fictional town of Cape Sanctuary, which is sort of a mishmash of some of my favorite Pacific coast beach towns. I'm a, I'm a Western girl. And so my, my ocean is the Pacific for the most part. And so, you know, it's a mash between Cannon Beach, Oregon, and the Monterey Peninsula, little towns there like, you know, Pacific Grove and Carmel by the Sea and places like oh, that. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. They are gorgeous. Yes. Love Carmel by the Sea every year. You know, the, the Pebble Beach golf tournament is on <laughs> early in the season. Yeah, and I, we, we watch it just for the scenery. <laughs> I know it's it's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. Bing Crosby was big in that the tournament back in the day. Back yeah, in the day. back in the day. It's lots um, of fun. So have have uh, have any of your books been turned into movies? Has, has Hallmark been calling at all? <laughs> they have reached out a few times, and I've had several options, but nothing right now in the works. We're still, you know, keep our fingers crossed all the time. But I've had a couple of series options. Uh, you know, I've written various like six or seven book series that have been optioned before, but they haven't ever come to fruition. So we're keeping our fingers crossed that that will happen someday. I really feel like readers. You know, they've seen the success of things like, you know, Robin's Car series and Sherwood had a series that was successful. I think people love that idea of towns that where there's interconnected stories. And that's very much the kind of stories that I tell. Yeah. 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 But you're right. I mean, we do need like happy endings, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just the world, the way it's been, especially the past couple of years with, with our mm-hmm. pandemic and just the, the high level of anxiety we've had. Oh, yes. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing like a good, you know, wholesome, no, maybe not wholesome, but a good, a good, you know, a nice well, I should story. Say my books are on the wholesome side. So oh, well, there, there you people go. are looking for, they'll find that in mind. You know, and I have people that I've, my books have been described as comfort reads. And I think some authors might find that offensive, but I actually love that. I love the idea that people might turn to my books when they need comfort, because if I can provide that to them, that's just a gift for me as well to know that I'm making people happy. Yeah. I mean, that's why, that's why people, so many people write, I mean, just to evoke some kind of emotion in somebody and, and I uh, love the notion of people taking comfort in, in books, kind of books getting you through hard times. So that's, that's beautiful. So I do have a list of questions here that I ask everybody. Um, and this is really, they're really designed to kind of understanding who my guests are as, as kind of people, which of course is what I want to do. I want to uncork their stories. 
So the first one up is uh, interesting because sometimes authors have a hard time with it. But uh, Rand, what were some of your favorite TV shows when you were a kid? I loved Happy Days. I loved Joni Loves Chachi. <laughs> Let's see what else did I love when I was a kid. We always watched the reruns of like Little Rascals and things like that with my siblings. I grew up in a little Indiana farmhouse and we didn't have any close friends nearby. And so we were all, you know, very, very close with my family. So, and then my parents didn't let us watch a lot of TV in the summer times. So they would kick us outside. So we would have to be outside playing and, and riding our bikes around and having fun that way. So there you go. I loved happy days. I mean, that was, <laughs> I mean, I had a picture of Henry Winkler. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> This is going to come out wrong, but over my bed as a kid, because I was enamored with the Fonz. Like oh, I yes. loved, I loved that character, Arthur Fonzarelli. And, uh, you know, only one, only one person on the show was allowed to call him Arthur. And that was Mrs. C. <laughs> he was the only one. The and only there was one. the mysterious missing Cunningham brother, right? There was an older what? brother before there was, <laughs> there was, and he and mysteriously disappeared. Yes. Never he, heard from again. He got voted out of the writer's room at some point in time. Right. But, you know, Happy Days also sprung off a couple of other shows. I mean, you mentioned Joni Loves Chachi, but Mork and Mindy came out of Happy right. Days. Um, I love that one, too. I love the love boat. I love oh. all. <laughs> I mean, when, any, when anyone on this show mentions the love boat, I have to pause because I started rewatching it during the pandemic from season one. And I didn't realize there was there was a few love boat made for TV movies with slightly different cast members before Love Boat got picked up as a series. All things I learned during my <laughs> investigative research into, you know, the Pacific Princess. But I loved it. I loved love. But I loved it so much as a kid. I used to play it with my friends. Like, you know, other kids would play Star Wars. Me, my brother, neighborhood friends. We played Love Boat. I and it was just that. It was so much fun. It was so much fun in the show. I mean, there's a lot of Me Too moments in the show. If you, oh, yes. if you look at oh, it yes. now. But that that Dr. Bricker was a... Uh, you know, he could be in trouble these days, but um, <laughs> a fine program, a fine program. So moving on from TV, what about uh, music? Who are some of your favorite musical artists? If, if we could go into your favorite playlists, who would we see uh, kind of overrepresented in them? Are you saying now or when I was younger? Uh, either or. Well, tell me now. Tell me now. Who are you listening to now? Now I like to listen to, well, the oldies for the most part, but actually I really quite enjoy some of the dance music. I like that when I'm, you know, walking or working out. I like to listen to jazz when I'm working. Sometimes I've kind of run into lo-fi. I don't know how familiar you are, you are with lo-fi music, but I'm yeah. totally addicted to that when I'm writing. It is just basically sort of kind of jazz, but kind of hip hop, but it's just low in the background. And it's because it's supposed to be like not quality not high quality hi-fi, it's lo-fi, but you should look it up when you're writing it. It's supposed to unleash some creativity and I find it very relaxing when I'm working. And so I recommend people try lo-fi. You can find it on YouTube. There's like channels on YouTube. where you can Well, I'll, I'll take all the help I can get when I'm writing. <laughs> well, what about when you were younger then? Um, to my favorite group was the police. I was addicted to Sting. I had, you had your love boat. I had a giant poster of Sting and I took it to college too. We got to see Sting like right before the pandemic again, which was awesome. And I, so I loved, I kind of loved the new age music. I grew up in the eighties, went to high school in the eighties. And so I loved sure. the, what we called, or not new age, but the new wave. Yeah. We call it? I can't remember. See, I'm old. Yeah, new, new wave. All, <laughs> yeah. That's sometimes what they call it alternative, but oh yeah, I loved, I loved Block the of Seagulls, Howard Jones, all that. Oh yeah. Well, no one ever is to blame. So. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> I always like to say, well, how about this? I mean, you write so much, but how do you feel when you are staring at a blank piece of paper or a blank computer screen, depending on, on how it is you write? There is 
always a feeling of panic when I start a new book. And I would have to say that every book is harder than the one before. And you would think that after this many books, I would know what I'm doing. But I feel like every time I start, I have to kind of relearn the process. I have to, it takes me a long time to, from the time I start planning a book to getting, you know, really in the final pages of it for me to sort of get in the groove and know, feel like, okay, I remember what I'm doing here. (laughs) I know how to write this story, you know? And so I do panic when I'm at a blank page, but I usually force myself to keep going or I'll write a different scene that I might be struggling with, or I'll leave it for a little while and take a walk and then come back. I can usually figure out, you know, if I'm blocked and how a scene should go, or I write it from a different character's point of view. And that usually solves the problem as well. Yeah. So you got some, so you feel those sort of anxious emotions, but you got some workarounds for them. sounds like. Right. And when you have deadlines, you know, and as many deadlines as I have, I have to do it, whether I feel like it or not. And that's the one hard lesson I think I had to learn when I first started is when you do this as a profession, you must treat it as your profession. So I go to work every day. I have a, an office that's away from my home. Fortunately, it's just next door, but I it's away from all the chaos. And I walk over and I, I just treat it like I'm going to work. You know, I get my glass of water and, and all the things I need to do to, to start going. And, you know, just the things I used to do when I go to the office, you set your workspace around and and be in the zone, turn on the music that helps you or not music or whatever you need, but just do the steps you need to be creative. It does. I find the older I get, the more I need more room for creativity. I used to be able to write at the dining room table or in the car between my kids' soccer games and things like that. But I need now, I need quiet. I need space. I need to be alone. I have a hard time writing when my family's around me being noisy and stuff like that. I need more focus than I used to. And it might be because my stories are more I don't want to say linear or more complicated, but I have more plots that I have to intertwine. I'm digging deeper with the characters than maybe I used to do in, in some of my earlier books. Obviously, all writers' work evolves as they as they are experienced. And I would say mine has definitely evolved into sort of more complicated stories than maybe I used to write. So in terms of like, you have to treat it like a job. I think that's a very important point to make, especially you know for people out there who might be doing it as a hobby. But did you, did something change within you when, when you went from kind of maybe writing more as a hobby to it being your full-time career? What changed, I would say is like any job, it became a job, you know, it was not where I went to, to escape anymore. It was what I had to do to, you know, pay the bills, basically pay the mortgage and, and take care of my family. And so there's still joy in it. I still find joy in the written word. There's nothing that compares to looking at your work afterward and thinking, did I really create this? You know, holding a book in your hands and, and getting those author copies in the mail and, and just thinking, did I, did this really come out of me? It still feels like a magical experience, but it is work, you know, and it's hard work. And sometimes when, before you're, I would say before I was published, I would just do it when I felt like it. I would, even though I really had this dream of being published, I would still take weeks off away from it and then come back to it, be really excited to do it. I don't have that luxury anymore. I have to do it every single day, six days a week. I work six days a week. I try to get my 2000, 2,500 words, you know, because that is my job. That's the only way I'm going to meet my deadlines and keep my publisher happy, keep my readers happy, and, you know, keep my career momentum going. Yeah. What's the, some of the best advice you could offer to an aspiring author? You know, the best advice I would have is believe in yourself you know, that was probably in my early days, what I wish I'd done a little bit more of. I didn't really believe in my own dreams. I didn't dream high enough, you know? And so I would say 
I also t- had the advice when I was starting out that anybody who wants to be successful in this career can be successful. It just takes, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take work. You're going to have to write a lot of words, but you can find success because, because of you, because you will try to perfect your work, because you will try to write better, because you will try to keep an eye on trends and figure out what's hot right now and what you might be writing and figure out how your voice, your particular voice can fit into those trends. Yeah. Uh, and last but not least, if you could give advice to your younger self, if you could write a letter to your younger self, mail it and have that you know, younger Rayanne open it up, what would you tell your younger self? I know you just mentioned you know, a couple of things in, in that last question, but what else would you mention to your younger self? I would say dream bigger. That was the one thing I didn't really have. I dreamed of maybe hitting the New York Times someday. That was sort of the extent of my dreams. And once I hit that in 2013, I was like, okay, well, I've hit the New York Times then what's next? You know, how do I, how do I move on from this? And so I, you know, I just had to believe that I could do it. And that took me several years and many books before I really felt confident in myself. And like I said, every book still, I still struggle with it, but you know, I would just say dream, dream bigger, dream, keep those dreams alive and dream bigger. So what's bigger than hitting the New York times? Hitting it 14 times. Like I've done (laughs) hitting it with most books that I've written have hit the New York times since then, you know, and and just having a career that is successful and that, that I have readers that reach out to me and tell me that I've helped their lives, you know, and that's amazing. So where can people go buy Summer at the Cape? They can find it pretty much everywhere, although I think a lot of stores have sold out of it. So hopefully they're, they're going to be reprinting. But I know it's at Walmart. I know it's at Barnes & Noble. I, Sam's Club has had it. They can order it online, of course, at most of the local vendors. I would also say if you have an indie near you, you can go there and they can order it in for you. Even if they don't necessarily carry it, they can order it for you. So support your indie bookstores. There you go. I always love to do that. And uh, last but not least, Rand, where can people go to learn more about you? Do you have a website or social media you can share with us? I have all of those things. They can find me at rayanthane.com and it's spelled R-A-E-A-N-N-E-T-H-A-Y-N-E.com. And then I also have, I'm very active on Facebook. I have Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and all the things. All right. Very good. Well, Rayanne, this has been a fun conversation. Thank you so much for talking to me about happy endings and happy days. Right. Happy, happy, happy. That's me. (laughs) Thank you so much. It was a joy.